Hello. Good evening. I couldn't hear you ringing. Could you not? No. Oh. Can you hear me speaking? Yep. Marvellous. That's all that matters. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, John. Should we do the uh, do the official bit first? Go on then. Welcome to North v South, a podcast about but not about design. This is episode 46. I'm Rob Turpin. On the other end of Skype is John Elliman. And we're going to have a natter like we always do. How are you, John? I'm okay, thank you. Yeah. And are you well? I am. Yes. Work is done. Yes. Work work is over for me now until after the holiday. Uh-huh. So I'm opening a celebratory beer uh, and I'm going to enjoy having our weekly chat. So all is well. <laughs> that is a fantastic sound. <laughs> uh, so I'm just pouring myself a naked lady. <clears throat> I bet you are. Which is uh, a Twicker male. Have you got a, got yourself a drink there? Uh, some tap water. Well, cheers. Cheers to you. Uh, congratulations. Now, thank you. Oh. Uh, naked lady, the beer is that named after mm-hmm. the naked ladies in Orleans Park? Uh, yes, the water nymphs in York yeah. House Gardens. Right. Yeah. Which I didn't know. I obviously hadn't read the back of this before. Oh. It just sudden, suddenly yeah. occurred to me. Oh, that was just off the top of your head, was it? Yeah, I just remember uh, when I first moved to Twickenham many years ago, um, somebody had vandalised the by uh, with a black marker, marking uh, putting pubic hair on the all the nymphs. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Shouldn't be funny, but it was. It shouldn't. No. <coughs> uh, so how's your day been? They were hairier days back then, lad. <laughs> <laughs> how's my week been? Um, it's been okay. Week? Day, day. Um, uh, what been uh, I uh, I had a birthday. You did, didn't you? Many happy returns. Thank you. Um, managed to avoid it generally. Uh, I had some nice presents. I got a an instant camera. Oh, yeah, like a Fu- a Fuji one. Okay, it kind of like a Polaroid. Yeah, but they come out about half the size of uh, like they're sort of um. Uh, yeah, well, I, I don't know what size they are, actually. Are what they about? square? No, they're rectangular. Quite interesting. Must make for interesting framing. Yes, it's a bit random. Mm. Um, yeah, exposure's very random. If yeah, you've ever good used... Good fun, that sort of thing. Yeah, have you ever used a lom- Lomography one? A Lomo. 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 No. no. Right. Well, I did have one. Um, I, I've only got bits of it. I can't find... <laughs> uh, you can take them apart, and uh, and I've taken oh, okay. it apart, and... Um, and I've sort of misplaced bits of it, so they must be in the loft. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I do. I like photography a lot, so that was really nice. Um, didn't do anything, don't think, for my birthday. Uh, yeah, just been working and did some running. Haven't really gone anywhere because our car broke down again on Monday. Oh, dear. Yeah. Another injector, another 500 quid. Lovely. Oh, ouch. Mm-hmm. I love cars. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. So I'm taking. Uh, I've decided my, my, under my wife's orders, I'm taking next week off. That's a good plan. I've written in the notes. I uh, I've quoted Bilbo Baggins because I know, love that quote. I that quote uh, strikes me quite often as well. <laughs> uh, he he said, um, 
I feel thin, sort of stretched like butter scraped over too much bread. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, and that's how I feel at the moment. So I'm downing tools next week. Cool. A week off will do you the world of good. Yeah, I think so. Um, yes. Have um, you got any plans for the week off? Not at the moment. Are you going to get out into the countryside, long runs, long walks? I'm going to do some long walk. Uh, I'm going to do some hangers, uh, which are these sort of cliff-like uh, walks that you can do around here. Okay. Um, and uh, I'm going to go up to London, I think. I might, yes. I might take a page out of your book, which you can tell us all about what you've been mm. up to. That sounds like a good plan. I don't think I'm going to have time to uh, to join you in London as my holiday approaches swiftly. But um... shh, shh. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't tell uh, anyone. Yeah, I uh, I had to. Um, <laughs> I had to go to the passport office. Not that I'm going away or anything, but I had to go to the passport office. Why? And, um, because my passport didn't have long enough left on it. No. Does I'm supposed it... to have six months on for certain countries. Oh. And mine had four on, I think. So I thought, best not risk it. So I booked, one of the, I booked an appointment and then had four hours to kill in Pimlico. So I thought I'd saunter on down to Tate Britain, which I haven't been to since I first moved to London. I think I've only ever been once. I might have been with school when I was young, but um, so I couldn't really remember anything about it, about the collection, kind of about the gallery itself. And I was utterly blown away. Loved, loved it completely. I was, I was there just before it opened and a huge queue grew behind me. Um, but luckily they were all for the Hockney exhibition which is uh, their kind of blockbuster exhibition that we mentioned last week. Um, so I strolled in through the front doors and everyone else went to present their tickets and I had the galleries to myself for a good 20 minutes. And it was it was rather magical, literally walking around with not another soul um, and not even any staff. They don't, when you go to the National Gallery, there's a, there's kind of a, a gallery warden in every in every gallery, sort of on every corner, stopping you from taking photographs. And at um, Tip Britain, there were none, there were few and far between. Um, and they they don't mind you taking photographs there. So I played a little game. I took some photographs of uh, details from paintings and tweeted them and asked people to guess what the painting was. Um, so that was quite good fun. And I. Took a picture. Do you know um, Jacob Epstein's Jacob and the Angel sculpture? No. Wonderful, huge, monumental sculpture in, I'm not sure what the what the uh, material is. It's kind of like a, a pinky, orange, semi-translucent stone, like a kind of a, a peach-coloured quartz or something. Um, and it's the, the figures are huge. Um, and they've got uh, genitals. So I took a <laughs> I took a picture of the Jacob's genitals, and popped them on Twitter, and asked people to guess what sculpture it came from. So that was quite childish, but it was quite good fun. Um, but it was wonderful, and uh, lots of beautiful pre-Raphaelite paintings in there. Um, Ophelia, um, the Lady of Shalott. So by William Holman Hunt, who I've always loved. And a painting that I've never seen before and never heard of the artist, Arthur Hacker. 
kind of around at the, the same time, 1840s, 1850s. And it's a painting called The Annunciation, and it's just a cracker of a painting. The face of the of Mary in this painting is really it just grabs you completely. And it, it helps that the gallery that that painting is in is quite dimly lit. Um, really, really striking painting. So that was a joy. So I had a really nice couple of hours uh, in, the, in Tate Britain. Oh, Bit of a treat. Yeah. Uh, and that was pretty much all I've got up to this week, really. I've been in Shoreditch, well, Spitalfields again, working. And I've got quite a few little bits done on my children's book this week because work in Spitalfields has been scarce, stretched out. So uh, I've been filling my time, scribbling in my little field notes reporter's book. So I've made copious notes and written snippets of the book. So we'll talk about that a bit later as well. Yeah, um, uh, because that's what I've I've been working a little bit on my own personal projects this week. Um, I think I said last week I haven't got any um, large projects on at the moment, which is why I can take a week off next week. But um, Mm. uh, yeah, I've just had, you know, the usual... Uh, running the mill stuff coming through the door, but it's been quite it's been quite a challenge. We we'll talk about we're going to catch up with our own uh, personal projects a bit later. And whatever what else have we been doing? I haven't been doing an awful lot apart from um, working and uh, just you know looking after little one and walking the dog really. But um, I watched um, I've been catching up with what um, Nazis are warning from history on the BBC. Did we mention that last week as a, uh, as a series that they're repeating? I'm not sure. Um, because I think it's something that if you can get to watch it, I really uh, recommend it. It kind of traces the rise of the um, National Socialists in Germany uh, from the end of the First World War through to, I think it might end at the beginning of the Second World War, but I Mm. don't, I can't remember, maybe maybe it'll go through. I don't know. It's only on episode two at the moment. Um, And uh, it's a fantastic series. It really is interesting. It sort of picks up on social history and politics and it doesn't just, you know, do the usual sort of goose-stepping style yeah. um, footage. It really is a sort of a snapshot of Germany in those times. And um, When was it, it first broadcast? I think it, it, not, quite old. maybe 10 years ago. I don't think it's okay. that old. Um, but I think that the, um, yeah, and it's Ian Kershaw who I think has, I don't know whether he narrates it, but he's definitely written it. And if you, have you read any of his um, yeah. history books? He's, no. he's a very well-known uh uh, military historian. Okay. Um, but uh, he, um, yeah, it's just, it, it, it's parallel. I mean, can, I can understand why the BBC have put it on because the parallels with modern history is quite terrifying. Um, but there are obviously huge differences between America and Germany of the 1920s. But um, it is, it is quite terrifying how rapidly um, Hitler came to power through, mm. uh, through no sort of real, um, not through his own doing. Yeah. Uh, and that he, uh, he delegated, um, an awful lot of his responsibility away very quickly. And that's why things spiraled out of control. 
Very quickly indeed. But uh, mm. yeah, it's, we'll uh, it's definitely worth watching. Um, and also Second World War One, I've got for Christmas, um, The History of the SAS. It's not something I'd normally read about, uh, but it was by Ben McIntyre, who's another author I really like. Um, he wrote H and Zigzag. Have you read that one? No, oh, I haven't really read, read much military stuff. All uh, right, he, he he writes in a kind of it's almost novelized way. So, mm-hmm. um, and um, Agent Zigzag is a good one to start on because it's about a double agent who um, uh, works for the Germans, uh, gets parachuted into um, England, um, and then immediately gives himself up. He becomes a double, a double spy. As it uh-huh. Yes. So very good, very good book. But the the history of the SAS was absolutely fantastic, rip roaring read. Um, uh, what a so bunch it started in? Did it start lunatics. in the sec- Second World War in the Desert Campaign? That- yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. it did. Yeah, it's it's a it's really good book. And now now mm. I'm back to Quicksilver again. <laughs> Make it end. <laughs> you have to finish. Try and finish up for our second anniversary. Oh God. <laughs> Uh, and another good one on telly was Terry Pratchett, um, a sort of documentary about the end of his life uh, or okay. his life called Back in Black. Yeah. Um, don't know if you read any Terry Pratchett or if you're a fan of I his. I or... am not a fan. I, I think we've mentioned this before. I like my fantasy fiction serious. Yeah. I don't really like humour in it. It kind of breaks the the thing, really. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I can't suspend uh, the disbelief when there's laughs involved. Yeah, I, I think I've never like, really got on with um, Terry Pratchett or um, uh, Douglas Adams either. Right. I'll shut up then. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all, John. Uh, talking of books, I've got my um, I've got my books together for my holiday. Oh yeah, and you 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 actually carry physical copies of these, don't you? I do. I don't. I don't have a Kindle, <laughs> and I have no desire to get one. But however, looking at the pile of books I've got, yeah, I can kind of see the appeal. <laughs> Usually, one half of my suitcase is full of books for a holiday. I'm just going to talk you through what I've got. Okay. I've got Into Everything by Paul, uh, Into Everywhere rather by Paul McCauley, which is the sequel to one of his sci-fi books, which I'm looking forward to. Dune by Frank Herbert, which I've never read. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Wolf Hall, Hilary Mantel, which I'm sure you've read. Yes, loved it. Good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Brilliant. I'm looking forward to them all, obviously. Um, and then I've got a trilogy, which were recommended to me by Jeremy Marshall. Uh, Europe at Midnight, Europe in Autumn, and Europe in Winter by Dave Hutchinson. Yes, I read, I read the first one. Okay. Yeah. Enjoy it? Yeah, I did, actually. A uh, little bit scattergun. Um, yeah. But uh, interesting core mechanics to it. And I've got The Massacre of Mankind by Stephen Baxter, which I don't know if I mentioned recently. Um, but it's the official H.G. Wells estate sequel to war of the worlds um set 20 years later i think 20 or 30 years later really yeah sounds good yeah and wh- when was that written uh it's just out oh right uh, so it's hard uh, hardback oh. which obviously oh. is very portable for a holder yeah um and the last one i've got is imaginary cities by darren anderson and uh, darren anderson is on twitter as honoropolis um, I can't really tell you what he tweets about, really. It's 
bits of sci-fi and kind of dystopian stuff and lots of kind of architectural, social things. Um, but it's a really interesting Twitter account to follow. Uh, and this is quite a big old thick book. And it says it's a new work of creative nonfiction roaming through space, time and possibility, mapping cities of sound, melancholia and the afterlife where time runs backwards or which floating or which floating on the clouds. I can't get that. But, uh, yeah, so that'll be good. That's probably the, the one of, out of all those books that, eh, you know, might not get finished. Uh, yeah. So that's, I, I quite like having a, a good selection of books to take with me. They probably won't last me two weeks. So I'll probably have to read the, uh, the library at the resort. Which You'll be on. reading Robert Ludlum or something. Well, I always buy, um, I, I've actually got two of the books. I've got two Lee Child Jack Reacher novels because a Jack Reacher novel I found is exactly the, takes exactly the same amount of time to read as the flight. Um, and they you know, they take my mind off flying, which I'm not a massive fan of. Yeah. Um, but yes, I will have to resort to something trashy, no doubt at some point. Um, yeah. Should we get on to some news? Yeah. You best start because you've got more than me. First one is I saw on is nice that uh, David Bowie has got some stamps coming out um, celebrating the designs on the front of his albums. Mm-hmm. I saw those and I wanted to buy them. And I've got a couple of comments about them. One, they're an interesting choice of albums. Um I guess they picked kind of uh, equidistant um, albums, or are they where he's really reinvented himself? I don't know, really. What have they got on there? Hunky Dory, Aladdin Sane, The Next Day, Black Star. I don't know the two on the, the bottom Hero. left. Oh, um, that's Let's Dance, isn't it? Oh, is it? Yeah, and Earthly. Oh, yeah. With his, drum okay. and, his drum and bassy sort of one. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think they look great, but um, and it's great to see him honoured. I don't know why the vinyl. Why have we got the vinyl bit sticking out of it? What's what's the purpose of that? Uh, I guess it's just uh, a, a very sledgehammer nod <laughs> to the fact that their album covers. I don't think there's anything subtle or yeah. about it. It's quite weird, isn't it? It says it says on this uh, link. What's on that? It's nice that it's the latest in the Royal Mail series of music giant stamps. Ah, right. So maybe they, that's their formula. So they did they did Pink Floyd previously, right? Because um, weirdly, the um, the bo- it's got a white border around the album cover, which is obviously mm. square, um, but it's sort of set to the left. So visually, you know, like you would hang a painting, you set, set you know, when you mount a painting you set it slightly higher than yeah but why is that it looks really weird know. to me it accentuates the fact that the uh the album's sticking out the side i guess when you peel it off that that album is a rounded die cut yes the LP, i'd imagine sorry. so yeah because you don't really need the perforations anymore do you because they're those easy peelable no. things and is it so authentic that they've actually scanned in um the records the original records as they were Ah, or is it not? Good, that? Wouldn't it? So, do the tracks match up? I, that, those, I need to know facts like that. See, if it's not authentic like that, then I'm I'm calling bluff on the whole thing. Well, they do. They are different. Yeah, they are different. But is that just a template, or is that the actual album? 
I I reckon that's the actual album. I'd hope so. Yeah, I think that's cool. Hmm. Yeah, they're they're nice though. It's uh, it's a nice thing to see stamps recognizing cultural things. I think. Yeah, you you can get a uh, if you're if you're collecting, you can get a um, a limited edition framed Gicle print of the uh, stamp <laughs> artwork. <laughs> can you now? <sighs> and um, it's uh, the stamp set is six pounds forty eight. Which just reminds you how expensive it is to send anything in the UK now. Yeah, I went to the post office the other day and, and <laughs> someone, sh- someone said to me, oh, can you pick me up some stamps? I was astounded by yeah, how expensive Me too. I just re- replenished my, because I normally buy like a load and then very rarely use them. So I ran mm. out and it would cost me like 15 quid. <laughs> <laughs> you were thinking you'd get change from a fiver. Yeah. It's like when my dad goes to buy a pair of shoes, he still thinks he can buy you know, a couple of pairs of shoes and then on the way home, go to the cinema all for a tenner. <laughs> Bless him. Uh, my first bit of news is oh, a bit of a weird one. Uh, Yira or Hira Taniguchi has died. Now, a week ago, that name wouldn't have meant anything at all to me. He's a, he's a manga artist, Japanese comic artist. Um, and I'm not a, a manga fan i know very little about it but he the twitter was kind of full of tributes to to him and featuring his art and stuff and i obviously i kind of had a, a look absolutely blown away and I, I now feel like i need to look into manga because this isn't his work to me isn't what i thought manga was it's these beautifully realistic really detailed drawings that I, I guess I thought manga was more flippant um, and not as as kind of lifelike. You know, I expected it to be more cartoonish. But his work is, is just stunning in its detail and realism. Uh, some of the sci-fi stuff he's done is, is bonkers, complex. Yeah, it's beautiful stuff. So it's kind of weird when when someone dies, and I think we talked about this, didn't we? About the, do the Germans have a name for it? You know, that, that disappointment when someone dies and you've only just discovered them. But I'm definitely going to have a look at his his kind of back catalogue of stuff and probably look into manga a little bit more because I feel like I've done it a disservice if his work is um, indicative of it its quality. It's uh, uh, Hiro, I think it's Hiro, would you pronounce it Hiro? J-I-R, Hiro Taniguchi. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful work. So look his stuff up. Well, we were talking about Blade Runner um, a few weeks ago, and um, mm. the technology moves ever closer to Blade Runner, the machine that we talked about where he zooms in yeah. uh, to a photograph. And Google are, have developed a new AI system that uh, can... They, they, the the um, the angle the guardians took for the for the piece was uh, that they can start unscrambling pixelated faces which is quite extraordinary uh that it can um you know go from an 8 by 8 pixel sort of uh, you know you see those blurry images yeah. over cameras and stuff and they can re- recover um up to i think it's like four times the resolution yeah. but from an 8 by 8 up <clears> into a yeah it's, 32 by 32 it's weird i i saw this article but i didn't read it i just kind of took in the kind of gist of it um but it's absolutely 
staggering, isn't it, what it can extrapolate from that tiny image? Yeah, I mean, it, they've got such a huge bank of images that their search uh, algorithms are just insane. And they, they refer to it as hallucinating extra information, which they're extrapolating from similar images that are um, stored on their servers. Yeah, um, And that is one of the big, problems facing Apple with its kind of facial recognition um, and search capabilities on photos is that they don't um, gather information off of their mm. clients. They don't share it. So they're not allowed to do that. So they're building, uh, they're, they, they're building a completely different infrastructure. Which yeah. Go- Google's is based just, you know, plainly on brutal. Um, it is brute manip- force, isn't it? Yeah. Um, what what they're using it for is a, is a completely different um uh, purpose in and and it's quite interesting. I guess as as images to you know get higher and higher resolution, we've got to think about ways of serving them up to people who are mm-hmm. on narrow bandwidth or to saving bandwidth for you know to save resources basically. Yeah, because obviously downloading more takes more electricity, or um, especially if you're in, in undeveloped countries as well, they might not necessarily have the the right bandwidth. So yeah, plus, if th- you download too much stuff, your phone gets too heavy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're now, so they're now serving up files on Google Plus uh, at a quarter the size of the final image. And then this, this software is, is restoring the image back to how it originally looked um, okay. through guesswork. Um, <laughs> that's actually mirrored by a technique you can do with web, with web images where you can save uh, at a larger size than the size you're displaying, but save it at a really low quality uh, JPEG mm. um, so that the file goes really small. But because you're condensing Using the image tiny. down, it's kind of guessing and the eye tricks what goes in yes. between. That's it. Your eye knows what it's supposed to expect. So it kind of mm-hmm. fills in a lot of the gaps, doesn't it? Mm. But the sort of the reverse, you know, the reverse of this is, is that um, Blade Runner, you know, there's a snap and he can almost go around a corner and yeah. zoom into the next room. And look at fish scales. Yes. Fish scales? Snake scales. Snake scales. Oh, dear. It's that Bernie yeah. Clifton again. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's really fascinating how quickly technology is progressing. Frighteningly so. Uh, my next bit of news is, it's not really news. It's something I've been listening to on iPlayer. May as well make this like a weekly event. I always seem to mention something that I've listened to on iPlayer. <laughs> Uh, the Curious Cases of Rutherford and Fry on Radio 4 is part of their, I think it used to be part of their discovery thread, uh, kind of science, um, part of their science programming. Um, and it is, I can't remember what they're called now, Rutherford and Fry, two scientists, uh, science journalists. And each week they look into uh, kind of a scientific thing or question that's being suggested by uh, a listener. And the one I was listening to today, um, it's a two-parter, and it's called The Sinister Hand, and it's about left-handedness. So they look into the origins of left-handedness, why we are handed at all. Um, And they were trying to discover why, out of all mammals, or kind of most animals, we are not uh, 50-50 left or right-handed. And how confusing it is that you could understand it if we were 50-50 
percent left-handed, right-handed, or if we were a hundred percent left-handed or right-handed. But the fact that we're just under ninety percent right-handed is really confusing, and there's kind of no obvious reason for it. Um, and the program itself can sometimes be a bit flippant and a bit simplified, but they do cover some really interesting topics, so it's well worth a listen. Um, but one of the things they mention, they talk about, you know, how, how the different hemispheres of the brain uh, control different functions and the left part of your brain typically controls the kind of right arm and right eye and stuff. Um, and they talked about something called left neglect. Um, and they use the um, example of Dickens right at the end of his life, started suffering from something that was became known as uh, left neglect and he was walking down the street and he couldn't i'm going to get the side wrong now but he couldn't read any street signs or shop signs on one side of the street but could read all the others um and then he was i think he was at a dinner party and he was completely ignoring people on one side of the the room and this is something called uh hemispatial neglect and he'd suffered uh, a brain injury and which resulted in his death very soon afterwards um but this left neglect can manifest itself in really weird ways um in that it affects your brain so that almost your entire perception of one side of existence is is gone so you'll you'll be eating your dinner and you'll only eat food from one side of your plate not because of some kind of bias but you will just completely fail to notice that there is food on the right side of your plate or even that there is a right side of your plate and it was it was bizarre not like it's just black it just no the brain isn't processing that yeah and it's really very strange Um, and i think that's one of the really good things about this program and about a lot of stuff on iplayer is it just throws up these things that you've never ever heard of uh, I guess, unless you're a neurologist. And it, yeah, fascinating and bewildering and just makes you realise how complex and fragile and unknown we are to ourselves. A really, really good programme. Uh, Curious Cases of Rutherford and Fry on Radio 4. So have a listen to that if you like a bit of popular science. That's another science uh, argument that's going on at the moment. The world is not flat. <laughs> No, that one's been been sorted. Um, this is the Anish Kapoor Stuart Semple argument that flared up at the end of last year. Um, I love this. He's created a Semple has created a new um, black uh, ink. Basically, Anish Kapoor has uh, exclusive rights to uh, a the Vanta Black, which is the blackest substance known. Um, and he, he uh, the art world was up in arms that, you, that an artist had protected this particular paint. So Stuart Semple, in a very tongue-in-cheek way, produced a um, a pink version that anybody could use apart from Anish Kapoor. Then Anish Kapoor posted a photograph of himself sticking his finger into the pink pigment and um, taking a photograph of it. And it was his middle finger. Um, so Stuart Semple has continued and created his own black pigment. Um, which is cherry flavoured, um, but I didn't understand why. Why is it cherry flavoured? I've no idea. I guess black, black cherry. Right. That's the only thing I could quite grasp so, from that. So we haven't um, 
There hasn't been any response from Kapoor, has there? Yet. Ah, but there will be. I hope so. It's good. It's good fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's really good fun. It does mention, I think it's that article. It might be another article I read about this. It mentions um, the, about the Stuart Semple pink that he created. And if you want to use it, anyone can use it apart from Manish Kapoor. You have to fill in a form to, to order it from his website. And you have to say that, you know, uh, you are not Anish Kapoor. You do not represent Anish Kapoor and you will ensure that this pigment does not make its way into the hands of Anish Kapoor. It's just, it's brilliant. Yeah, love that a lot. Uh, so let's stick with colour for my last bit of news, which is uh, McLaren Formula One. They are releasing, uh, uh, unveiling their new uh, Grand Prix car, I think at the weekend. Um, and rumour is it's going to be orange. <laughs> well, like their old, like their old car. Yes. Well, I didn't know that um, McLaren had a history of orange cars because uh, I guess my the heyday for me of kind of Formula One was when they were Marlboro McLaren and they were red and white. So I didn't realise that their this kind of orange heritage of McLaren goes back to the late sixties, early seventies when they had bright orange cars. I mean, I have known that for their road cars they tend to use orange models in all their kind of promotional stuff um but i didn't realize there was heritage to it so i'm really excited to be seeing um uh an orange mclaren formula one car i wonder what considerations they give to sponsors when they decide on a a color scheme because uh, you know the the current car is silver and red, isn't it? Well, predominantly silver and with bits of red, um, which is you know pretty neutral really when it comes to sponsors' logos and <clears throat> stickers and messaging. But orange is quite uh, it's quite bold, isn't it? They're going to have to think carefully about how all the branding works with that. Well, there was a pink uh, car in the seventies. Um, so Durex sponsored. A Formula One car, if I'm, <laughs> I think, yeah, and it was pink. I see. I don't so, remember that one. Yeah, I think it's, you know, if the sponsor gives up the money, then they can have yeah. whatever they like. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure there was a pink Durex car. Hang on. I can't imagine you imagined that. Yeah, the Surtees team was in 1976. Uh. Um, was sponsored. But yeah, there's the Durex car. It wasn't pink though. It wasn't I'm pink. pretty. I'm pretty sure it was pink, but no, no not in this photo. It's white. Uh, oh, uh, there certainly was a pink Formula One car. Blimey, Sikimar, uh, Felipe Massa driving a pink Ferrari. That must have been a special sponsorship thing going on there. Uh, yes, yeah, so I look forward to a, a bright orange Formula One car. Yeah, no, I don't and, think it was. I don't think it was pink, but it was. Um, it was back in the seventies. How the world has changed. That just having the words Durex on a car meant it was banned from the television, and it was <laughs> deemed the BBC deemed it totally unacceptable for family viewing. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? Mm. But yeah, it wasn't <clears throat> pink. I lied. Uh, have you got any more news for us, uh, Mister Elderman? 
I got bits and bobs. Um, there's what, Come on, uh, what, sock one bit more news to us. Ian Livingston, who wrote the fighting fantasy books that we were always banging on about, mm-hmm. is writing a new book for the 35th anniversary of the release of Warlock of Firetop Mountain. And I will definitely be buying that for uh, yeah, nostalgia's sake. Has, so has he not written for them for that long? or Well, not for that long, but has it... This isn't him coming out of retirement, is it, to write a new one? I don't really know what he's been up to. Well, he's been running computer games. He 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 made Tomb Raider oh, and all sorts of things like that. So, oh, did uh, he? Yeah, he hasn't been doing that for um, a long time. Um, but I think he you know keeps his hand in. Um, mm. And he showed his sort of the way he works it out. He does it all on paper. Oh, yes. Because there were a couple of the pages were marked in red, weren't they? And, uh, They're the illustrations. Old. But yeah, just avoid those pages. Mr. They Ga- Mr. Gary Chalk or whatever. Yes, Gary Chalk or Russ Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Be nice, wouldn't it? That would be great. So yeah, and then another comicy book story that I only saw tonight was, um, and I've I've read about this in um, that some guy has created a graphic novel based on the terms and conditions of the iTunes Store. Have you heard this? <sighs> no, but God, that sounds dull. I know he's he's based each each. Uh, spread or section um, is based on a different artist. Um, okay. So there's a Tintin one in there, et cetera, et cetera. Um, classics of um, Marvel comic ones. Yeah. But my, my thing is like, what's the point? What, what is the point? Yeah. Is it, is it trying to prove a point of, I mean, no one's going to read you it, don't need they? any content. I, I don't know. I mean, it's amusing, but it's something that took him three years to produce. You kind of think, why didn't you? Yeah. Write a story. And let's be honest, the idea is amusing. Yeah. The actual graphic novel is not going to be, is it? Yeah. That sort of takes me on to, you know, creative thinking sometimes needs a firm hand to say no. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like we've talked about, who was it that you were reading needs an editor? Oh, Neil Stevenson. Yeah. I just, and, uh, one of his chapters I just read, actually, going back to him, um, uh, is, uh, is somebody communicating to somebody else in code. Um, and it says at the beginning, I'm going to write long, boring descriptions because that way I can fit the code in. And then he he proceeds to write long, boring sentences and then give you the translation of what that is in the code that this lady's writing to somebody else. Wow. Interminable. That's yeah. brave or stupid. Oh, God. It went on. Went on Self-indulgent, on. isn't it? Yes. It ended up with um, Louis Fourteenth having an annual fistula being removed. Well, yeah, that sounds reasonable. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm going to do a bit of family bigging up just then, then I'm finished on the news. Okay. Um, it's basically uh, Alid Lewis. Oh, oh, a guest presenter. Oh, <laughs> guest presenter. Um, he rides again. Um, he has got, uh, he's got loads of work coming out of his studio again, which is great to see because it's been nearly a year, I think, since we've had much. Um, he's just released a set of sticker um, on the App Store, which I've been Love having it. lots of fun with. Yes. Um, so I urge you to go and uh, and try them out. There's only 99p and it's really hard to find anything in the app, in the sticker app store. Uh, that app store thing in messages is rubbish. So yeah. you have to go into the search bit and search for toy stories, which is what this brand's called. And uh, you'll find it in there. You can send all sorts of cool messages they're, to people. They're just fantastic, aren't they? Yeah, they're really, really, really good. Beautifully done as well. And he's got a fabulous uh, new threadless T-shirt. Um, I don't know when his last one was, but it's uh, it's Donald Trump in the White House in the style of Psycho. Yes. And, and there's even a secret little Bernie bonus in there. Oh. So, yeah, check that out. Both of them. I think there's a 20% sale 
on the Threadless site. So it makes them quite reasonable. Mm. So yeah, that's my family shout out. Cool. Excellent stuff. Well done, Alan. Uh, so our uh, discussion this week is our personal projects and a bit of a catch up on where we're at, what we've been up to with them, how how badly we've neglected them um, or not. <clears throat> I can't remember when we last kind of discussed these. It was before Christmas, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, early winter or something. Well, I'll start. I've managed to get a few bits and pieces done. Like I said, um, although I've been freelancing in Spitalfields this week, the work itself has been kind of hampered by waiting on clients a lot. So I've I've been scribbling in my notebook and I've written quite a lot of my children's story. So I mentioned a while back that I was writing a children's story that I'm going to illustrate. It's kind of my it's kind of my big project. So that's this is the one that I hope will become something. I mean, I, I guess I'm hoping it's going to turn me into a children's author and illustrator. I'm not thinking that's going to be a simple process or that just, you know, if I finish one book that, that makes me the finished article or anything, but that's kind of my aim. And it's a, uh, when I first planned it, it was, I had this little seed of an idea and the book's going to be about trolls and a little boy and about their relationship um, and I always envisaged it as um, quite a young young children's pitch book, really. Kind of, I guess, Gruffalo age group. But I've, I now have lots more words than scribbles for pictures. I haven't really, I haven't started illustrating it yet. I thought, write it first, then illustrate it. But I've done a few scribbles of characters and things. But, uh, I found that I've got pages and pages and pages and pages of text, whether that's actual written story, which I've written probably a half of the, the story. And then I've got at least three times that I've background. And I think one of the reasons this has happened in the last week or two is because if I'm at work, it's much easier for me to scribble notes in between doing little bits of freelance work but then it is for me to draw it's um i feel a little bit less conspicuous doing that at work um so i found myself with masses of text and now i'm beginning to wonder is it going to be a picture book or is it you know i don't want it to become a novel you know i don't have a novel in me um, i know everyone's supposed to have a novel in them i don't think i do um so I don't know if it's a case of just refining it all and, you know, a lot of it just becomes kind of inner background for me or whether it, the, the book itself has to develop to and expand to use up a bit more of the stuff that I've written. It's a bit like we talked about ages ago about clients and stuff and, and the way that briefs can kind of creep and expand. And I found that my own brief to myself as as crept and expanded and now i'm beginning to think i'm a terrible client um it's really difficult when you're working for working on a personal project that you uh, you kind of make the boundaries and then you cross them <laughs> you know how do you rein yourself in do you find that yeah um well i found with mine my 
I think you're you're onto a good thing because you it's a very singular um, one track uh, task that you're trying to do. Um, mm. Yes, you can you know you can expand, but the best thing to do with with uh, just on a copy side is is obviously you want more copy because you can just distill it down and boil it down until you've yeah. got you know a polished kernel of a story. Um, so in, and if you can get that down to a I don't know how many pages you were thinking, but you know. 16 20 page book yeah um then that's all the better for it isn't it um yeah i guess so but i think with, with my on the on the flip side there's an idea that i've got which is a kind of a large broad brush of a of an idea which is to create art prints it's so big and there are so many tasks involved in it doing it properly that mm. i'm struggling and what what do i start on um, because I've got a lot of chicken and egg things. So, you know, branding, website and testing the products and then what are the products and how do I send the products out and how much are they going to cost? And, you know, is delivery going to affect my price and all those kind of things that I'm just going around and I'm chasing my tail at the moment, just going round and round in circles. There's quite a few diff- very different tasks as well, aren't there? You know, there's building a website is kind of one thing. Creating a business and defining its scope is another, and then thinking about kind of fulfilment and uh, logistics is another one, and uh, quite a lot to get your head around. Yeah, especially as I want to hit the ground running, so I want to, you know, I want it to be all functioning. Um, yeah, and I wonder how people cope with that um, because there are thousands of artists out there selling their work directly to people it's just that i want to build a system that allows it to be flexible and makes money it's not i'm not doing this for a mum and pop kind of yeah business i'm doing this as something that's scalable that i can you know use to to um pay for my family family's life i guess absolutely um, my pie so, is arriving by the ooh, way that sounds is it coming up in a dumb waiter it's not. Are you calling my wife a dumb waiter? <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> it sounded like uh, it was being winched up by a rope. No, no, there was a creak of floorboards. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, continue. Are you are you staring lovingly at your wife stroke pie? No, uh, the wife's gone. I'm staring lovingly at the pie. <laughs> <laughs> so w- your question was was what one of focus wasn't it of what should i be focusing on yeah um and i think it's you know you can write down a kind of timeline of things that you want to do but once you start picking them apart you you know each one each of these tasks becomes a major stepping stone so at the moment i'm kind of yeah i'm going round in circles on on my i guess it's tricky as well kind of the the thing that you want to achieve it's not the sort of thing that you can kind of create like a skeleton outline of it is it and get it up and running and kind of fill in the bits as you you go you kind of really do need it all all in place to to start off with yeah the the majority yeah i've got to have the yeah and, and i could use third party and that would get me a long way but part of my business is building this uh it's kind of a proof of concept for myself mm. um and you know that i could then take that product and uh, apply it to clients websites etc etc so that's the thinking there but then that kind of dilutes my concentration even further because i'm thinking about you know 
my usual design work and I'm trying to approach it from that kind of process. But even, even the process is causing me uh, issues in the fact that I've done, you know, I've done this three year long stint of work and I haven't reviewed the way I work at all. I kind of worked on the fly. <clears throat> And I'd really, and one of the things I said at the end of the last year was I'd like to review my process and and uh, and and refine it. But that that in itself is a massive task, and I've got you know, and I know that I've got this shop to build, and and um, so I I kind of get stuck on that. So yeah, I, I, this week's been frustrating to say the least. But I've written a copy, um, I've designed a sitemap, I've written um I've researched payment process and all that kind of stuff. So I'm a little and I started designing a little bit today, a bit of branding. So I'm I'm kind of down the road a little bit. Yeah, I guess it is very much like a jigsaw as well. When you first start, you're faced with all these pieces and you don't know where any of them go. But once you get in, you know, the corners and you know the more you put in, the easier it then becomes, doesn't it? Because you can kind of see where all the pieces fit. Yeah. So good metaphor for designing your business. And Yeah, I think so. I think, it, yeah, it will, it will come. But it's just, I should really have a much more definite idea of where I'm going by now, um, I'd have thought. We don't need to name names. Is there someone out there doing something very similar to what you want to achieve with your thing? Or is it quite a novel concept? Well, it's more just a merging of the two, of the two concepts. One of you know running a store for art for an, a single artist and selling mm. through something like cargo or whatever, and then there's the printing supply. So somebody who's a large format printer or whatever, or a fine what they'd call themselves a fine art G clay blah printer, but there aren't many that are doing the same thing that have, that have merged. Yeah, doing them both. Um, and so, yeah, I'd say, um, uh, is it Jealous Studio in London? No, I do. do you know them? No, I do. Je- Jealous no. Gallery? Oh, do you know what? I do, because I've walked past them. Right. They're kind of doing that kind of thing. Okay. Sort of working with artists to create, to cal- collaborate on uh, yeah. printing. Dan Mather, maybe even, because um, he produces his own stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, there are, there are loads of people out there doing it. It's not a unique idea. It's just it's just a a kind of forum for me to start producing my own art, and um, and whether that will happen, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Yes, because, it will. Yes, let's be positive. But yeah, so starting from scratch is is really hard, and if you've got a single purpose, then even that can be you know, like you say, you you, you know, just the fact that you've written the copy for the book is is fantastic start, isn't it? Well half of it but yeah and are you pleased um, with it so far yeah they are, so i've got kind of two blocks of text one is kind of the written narrative of the story which has got you know it's got big gaps in it and bits where i haven't quite figured out what's going where and stuff which is fine as as almost like a skeleton of the story it's not perhaps in the right voice yet um and then there's this other side to it which is kind of the whole background notes about what trolls look like what's their what are their customs and and that's kind of i've surprised myself by how much i've loved creating that world because i don't normally do that you know i might have little ideas of of the background of things while i'm drawing them but i've never gone into that much depth before so that's been good fun so yeah, it's, uh, that's one of those things I'm going to try and do on my holiday. I'm going to try and finish the kind of first draft of the narrative of 
the book. And have you got an idea for the style of illustrations that you're going to do with that? Uh, ish. The stuff I've done so far has been very much loose scribbles. Um, I've purposefully not tried to do anything finished. Um, in my head, I've, I've got an idea, and I want it to be quite detailed and quite rich. You know, I want kids to be able to look at it and and find lots of stuff to look at in there. Um, so it's not a simple, uh, traditional kind of picture book story, I don't think. I'll, you know, I want lots of little hidden gems to yeah. be discovered. Fantastic. So it'll, uh, the illustration will push me way beyond where I am now um, to even get it half as good as I want it. So that'll be exciting. Um, you know, I don't draw characters or figures at the minute at all. So uh, it's very much a leap into the unknown. Well, it's very exciting to hear. Yeah, it is. And the other, the other side of it is what you've been talking about. Um, you're creating the kind of the shop brand framework for your business. And I've started working this week on some of the content that I hope to be able to sell through your business. So I've worked on a new, I say a new piece of art. It's a reworking of an old piece of art, which is the Tentacled Island, which we did a test print of my old version of it, which was drawn in a moleskin. So it was quite small and it wasn't massively detailed. So I decided I wanted to do a new version of that tidy up a bit, add a bit more detail um, and produce something a little bit bigger so that I could offer it as a, as a bigger print and it wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't suffer from blowing up. So I've, I've done a new version of that and I've been busy colouring it in Photoshop and I stuck it on Instagram today and it got really, really lovely feedback. So that's, and you know, I'd said it can be available as a print soon and lots of people said they'd want one. So I thought that really bodes well for um, for the for the venture. Really, um, it was kind of reassuring. You never know what kind of engagement or conversion rate you'll get. You know, yeah. lots of people say things on social media: "Oh, do a book, I'll buy it," or "Do prints, I'll buy them." And then, you know, if you do produce something, that the, the engagement rate, the conversion rate, can be fraction of a percent even if you've got you know 30,000 followers on Instagram a fraction of a percent you know isn't necessarily going to make you a living so um so it's good to get to get some good positive feedback um and hopefully sticking that picture up there has has whetted people's appetites so when we're ready to go some point next month or the month after then um We'll have a, a little queue knocking at knocking at the gallery door. Yeah, well, it will be next month. I'm sure of it. The um, yeah. so yeah, no, it should, no, it will be it'll be running. Whether I uh, die in the process is another matter. Uh, <laughs> Let's not let that happen. Uh, there's an interesting um, uh, article at the back of Creative Review this month by a lady called Claire Bridges. Um, it's called "Tackling the Daunting Prospect of a Blank Page." Um, and when I saw that, it's in the sort of the brownie pinky back section um, yeah. that's kind of like uh, articles that seem to be about uh, career or helping you um, yeah. with ideas or whatever. 
And I thought, oh, I rubbed my hands. Oh, I thought that, that looks really exciting. And it was just full of like management speak to me. <laughs> it was really uh-huh. hard to understand. But uh, but it's um it's definitely worth looking at because she mentions quite a few techniques that I hadn't really heard of, of how to, um you know, to create a creative environment. Okay. Or to, you know, to create, to, yeah, to kickstart creative discussion so um yeah if you've got oh, a copy a in, your, in your studio give it you know have a look uh, there's yeah. also i forgot to mention on the david bowie cover the black star we mentioned it came second in that award mm. ceremony the other week yeah um bentles wasn't it bent <laughs> no it's yeah. beasley's beasley's uh beasley's well, yeah. which i'm sure is something from harry potter yeah um that uh the album um dan gray has written an article on sort of discovering the album and all the secrets that are yes. inside it. It sounds absolutely sort of brilliant. Eggs. And I'm really, uh, ex- I, I want to get hold of that album now. Is it, it's yeah, even got like a heat. Uh, people are saying that it's got heat sensitive or light sensitive. Ink. Yeah. All sorts of stuff going on. So, so I think Daniel, I haven't read the article yet, but Daniel had had it for quite a while, hadn't he? Before yeah, he, said, he yeah. decided to open it and investigate. Yeah. So. so in terms of personal projects, yes, I've been working on it. Uh, yes, it's really, really hard being your own boss and uh i kind of like keep looking back at client work going that's really easy (laughs) (laughs) but i know i'm in i'm in it now so um here we go watch this space well we can look forward to when i'm when i'm back up my halls we'll have to have another um, working lunch yep definitely so that you um well we'll come to that at the end of the show have you got a website of the week uh, I have. It's, it's not a website. It's a Twitter account, and it is Silent Movie Gifts. Oh, I, this, this is great! It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't know who who uh, I can tell you who actually. Uh, Don McCool. He says uh, I like to watch silent movies and then make gifts of them, uh, which is exactly what this account does. Loads of gifts of silent movies, which is great in its own right. Chaplin. Uh, Harold Lloyd, Buster Keaton. But he also puts on lots of kind of behind-the-scenes bits, um, particularly kind of how they achieved special effects in the 1920s. Um, and it's absolutely fascinating. Um, and it's some beautiful stuff. The pinned tweet is um, a selection of his favourite gifts. And the top one is this amazing scene where the camera tracks through this restaurant and basically uh, bisects all these couples um, at tables. And it's it's just magical stuff. Um, oh, I'll have to have a look at that. I haven't seen yeah. that. Really, really wonderful. So silent movie gifts, all one word on Twitter. Have a look. Feast for your eyeballs. <laughs> well, we're getting to that moment with we've got so many back episodes that I can't remember whether I've mentioned things or not. I did do a quick search through notes and couldn't find this one. Um, mine is mine's an online app, but you can also download it as an offline one. So um, it's more a tool than a, than a site. It's right. called the it's called HemingwayApp.com. So www.HemingwayApp.com. Yeah. And it's a simple writing tool and it helps you boil down into a Hemingway style uh, <laughs> of uh, writing and by, you know, you just type in on the left-hand side and it will give you readability scoring on the, on the right. Oh, that's um, good, isn't it? And it's, and it's actually really, really, it's really good app um, really helpful and just gets you re- removing things from your copy. 
Yeah, I like that. Yeah. That's going to come in handy. Yeah, you can download a copy for, I think it's Mac only, but actually the website works perfectly well. And I think you can use Markdown in it. So I guess okay. you can copy copy and paste straight into your Dropbox paper account yeah. to, be, to be with the cool kids like Rob and because, I. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. Right. Um, and so on to pies. On to pies. Favourite bit of the week. I have got a venison and mushroom pie. Uh, one of Tom's pies. It's not Tom's, it's mine. Um, from Robson's Butchers, which is my local butchers. I've had lots of their pies, but I haven't had the venison and mushroom pie before. There's, There's lots of mushrooms. Oh, it smells beautiful. Really rich. Um, proper, proper pie. Smell that. Um, so, excuse me. Flaky pastry on top. Oh, it's very hot. Oh, that's delicious. Oh, that's. Mmm. What can I say? That's so good. I'm not a big fan of mushrooms in pies, but this is just delicious. Really succulent. The gravy's a really nice consistency, not that kind of gelatinous muck you get in some pies. Yeah. Crispy pastry, cooked to perfection by my wife. That's getting a nine. Good one. Yeah, brilliant pie. Lovely. I've got a pie minister mm-hmm. that was in the freezer because it was cheap in the uh, you know secondhand food aisle. Um, <laughs> this one is. Uh, I'm desperately now trying to find out what it was. Oh, bear with me. I'm scrolling back. Was it up chicken ham week and time? That's it. Have you had that one before? I haven't, no. No, I was just, I, I was searching desperately to try and see if I had have it, but I, I don't think I have. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's as Pie Minister pies all, 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 are all like this. It's kind of a thin crust pastry, not short crust, but it's, it's like cross between that and almost phyllo-y type pastry. Mm. And what I love about Pie Ministers is they actually taste like real pies. Yeah. There's no gelatinous stuff in them. All the flavours are individual. It's like somebody made it, which is why I think a lot of pubs stock them. Oh, yeah. The chicken's really nice. The leek's beautiful. Yeah, I'm I'm really liking that. I'm going to give that a seven. Oh, that's, 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 that's like my, an 11 from anyone else. I know. It's like, that's my highest score for months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's called the Free Ranger, if you're looking for it. Huh. I actually tried to find, you know, like a... A handcrafted pie in Spitalfields today, and there's nowhere that does pies. Is oh, that that at London? They're probably eating falafel or something. Yeah, that'll be it. <laughs> well, that's a good note to end on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be a bit of a, a pause before our next episode, um, as I'm away. So it's going to be um, mid March before our next episode. I know. We're gonna we're so, gonna we're gonna close this as a season, aren't we? We're gonna start season yes. two. Yeah. Um when we come back mid March. <laughs> Let's hope they haven't recast either of us. <laughs> <laughs> I better be better looking. <laughs> Who'd play you in a mini series of your life? Toadfish. Nice. I always thought Eric Stoltz could play me. He's the only ginger actor I could think of. <laughs> Uh, anyway, on that a- aim bombshell. high, Turpin. <laughs> <laughs> on that bombshell, uh, thank you for listening. Marvelous as always to talk to you, John. Yeah, and uh, um, have a lovely inverted commas break. Thank you. You too. Enjoy your week off. Yeah, 
Thank you. Um, yeah. And, uh, I'll talk to you very soon. Yeah. Aloha. That's they say in Hawaii. Yes. <laughs> no, note to listeners, not going to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good night, John. See Stars were no good for making farming in this life.